My name is Danny. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills and delighted to be able to speak to you for a few minutes this morning. And Trey, let me give you this as a gift, brother. So thank you. I appreciate that. And what an amazing week we had at Vacation Bible School. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a good tired, uh, but I know if you volunteered this week, and I think it's the biggest VBS I've, I've ever seen, I've personally ever been a part of. I had never seen so many children, and it took about 250 adults to pull it off. And so thank you so much. God bless you. I, I, there's a lot of people to thank, but Sharon Irwin, I just want to give a shout out to you and Teresa Smith. So, amen. So, Sharon, we have a little something here for you, and Teresa is, um, is with Bill, and Bill's sister had passed away, and they having the funeral, and Sharon's cousin passed away during BBS, was like a brother to her, and she had to miss on Thursday, but we got a little something here we want to give you just to say thank you. You did a fabulous job, and I know we just couldn't have done it without you and Teresa, so God bless you, and thank you again. We appreciate you. All right, and Lord bless you. Amen. So during VBS, uh, pretty exciting. There were so many exciting things that, that happened. And, and I just, again, genuinely from my heart, I, I wish I had the words to express words of appreciation to uh, our church family. You guys and gals were amazing. We had everybody from teenagers to senior adults. Rachel Samplaski, God bless you, 80 plus years up there serving snacks. And there was a place for everybody, whether you're driving a golf cart or teaching or helping in some capacity, many children accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I, I don't know how many, but there were a stack of cards that high. So we thank you, Lord. One of the things the children did during the week is they took up an offering for a well in Mozambique. And we still have an opportunity if people want to give. We have a text to give option that people can give to this mission cause. And uh, it's, it's a great opportunity if you want to do that. All the monies will go toward um, the, uh, to the well that they're going to build in Mozambique. And it's so good to have our boys and girls. They're in a little bit of competition. And we're going to find out at the end of the service today who won the competition. The girls are convinced that they won. So I want to see if that happens. And, and boys, we'll see how well y'all did. And, and again, it was so cool being able to offer that opportunity for children to give at an early age, because as we know as adults, when you give of your time, you give of your finances to the things of God, it is an incredible investment opportunity. It's an investment that God rewards us a hundred times over as we give of our time and our money and our resources to the things of God. And so you see that there, that's for the well in, in Mozambique. Right now, we are in a study at Great Hills Baptist Church called Church on the Move. And I want to preach a message to you today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the, to the book of Acts. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 13 through 22. And it's called the moment uh, of truth. And again, if you're a guest today, uh, we are doing a verse-by-verse, verse, really a word-by-word word study in this amazing book written by a man by the name of Luke who was a doctor he was a first-rate historian, and this is his account of the, I mean, explosive, exponential growth of that nascent early church, that church that was just really in its embryonic stage at this point. And it just begins to mature and to grow and to blossom, and, and it spreads all out over the Roman Empire. And Luke tells us how all of this goes about. And so we're in the study, it's called Church on the Move, and we're having a good time uh, studying this, this uh, great book. 
As you turn to Acts chapter 4, I'm going to look at verse 13 with you in just a moment. The title of the message is The Moment of Truth. I'm convinced that everybody in our life, we are going to have this moment in time where we have the opportunity to shine or to, or to fade. We have an opportunity to step up to the plate and hit a home run or, or strike out. A man by the name of Chris Burke, he, he played for the Houston Astros in 2005, and he had this moment in time. They were in the National League uh, playoff against the Atlanta Braves. It's 2005. Until this day, it's the longest recorded baseball game in the history of baseball for a playoff, okay? 18 innings. Eight, you know, nine plus nine, 18 innings, and Chris Burke steps up to the plate. And sure enough, he hits a home run, walk-off home run. The place goes crazy. And in that moment of truth, if you will, he, he shined most brightly. The thing about this guy, though, is he is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. He went on to play for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He has since retired. And I began doing a little more study on Chris Burke, and I come to find out this guy really loves Jesus. In fact, he says, you know, it's important... In whatever our occupation is, whatever God has gifted us to do, to do the very best that we can. But the most important thing that we can do in this life is to have a relationship with God and to be able to share that relationship with as many people as we can. Now, that's coming from a major league baseball player named Chris Burke. So I was checking him out a little bit more this week. I, yeah, I guess I was stalking him on social media. And I found him on Twitter. And this is what he said just June 23rd, just a couple of days ago. He said, Man, it was great to be back home and to hear Kyle Edelman preach the Word of God. He was on fire, and he had the fire emoji on there. And I thought, man, isn't that so cool? You got a guy like that who had so much success in the world of sports, and yet what's more important to him is to shine in our moments of truth for the Lord Jesus. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. There were two men, particularly, well, really three, in Acts chapter 4, they had this moment in time. They were put on the stage, if you will. They are standing before the Senate, the Supreme Court, all rolled up in one. They're called the Sanhedrin. And they're standing before these people, and they have to give an answer for the belief that they had in Jesus. And really, they had to give an answer for the miracle that had happened to this man in his 40s who had congenital lameness. He was born lame with no usage of his legs. And now he's up and he's walking and he's praising God. And so the Sanhedrin who feel very, very threatened, they feel very threatened by this new band of believers because all the people seem to be interested in what they have to say about Jesus and no longer what they had to say about Judaism. And so they are very much threatened by this. And they bring Peter and John and this man who was born uh, lame, and now he's healed. And so they put him on the spot. And I asked myself, what would I do, you know? You know, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a preacher, you know, and I, what would I do? What would I say if in my moment of truth, in that moment in time where I am under scrutiny and, and I am to give an account, would I be as bold as these men were? And they were bold. And the reason they were so bold, and this really is the, the thrust or the thesis of my sermon today is, the reason they had such boldness and the reason they could accomplish so many great things for God, it has to do with the presence of God in their life. God was in their life. They had spent time with Jesus. In fact, the Sanhedrin, they, they attributed 
the success of these men and the miraculous healing of this 40-year-old, they said, you people have been with him. Y'all have been, y'all, I know that's kind of a Texas, Alabama slang. Y'all stay with me. I don't think the Sanhedrin said y'all, but anyhow, you get the point. You guys, you have been with Jesus. That's the key to really unlocking this, this amazing passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read it to you, make some comments and, and really try to drive home this point that if we are to shine in our moment of truth, then we, it is absolutely necessary for us and our relationship to God to spend those times, those moments in His presence so that when the occasion arises, we will not wilt under the pressure, we won't back down with cowardice and trepidation and fear, but we will step up to the plate and we will speak boldly for our great God. We will be unashamed, and we will shine in our moment of truth. So let me, let me read it to you. It's verse 13. It begins, it says these words. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled. And when it says they marveled, they're talking about the Sanhedrin, the people who are prosecuting them, persecuting them, really. And they look at these fishermen from Galilee, and they, that is a very pejorative thing they're about to say to them, that, oh, you, you bunch of uneducated fishermen from Galilee, and how are you doing these things? They, but they marvel, and they said, how could such uneducated, unlettered people, how could they speak with such authority and see this amazing, miraculous healing? How is it? And they realized, oh, these people had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed <laughs> standing with them, you know, I, I read this text so many times this week, and, 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 and finally it dawned on me, look what Luke did to us here. He wrote the word standing. Does that mean anything to anybody? This guy for four decades could not stand. He was paralyzed. He had no ability. The appendages, the legs on his body, they could not coalesce and come together. The, the ligaments and the bones, the sinews and the muscles, they, they, had, they had complete atrophy. They, there was no ability within them. And the next thing you know, this man is standing erect with Peter and John. He had been healed. He stood with them, and they could say nothing against this. But when they had commanded them to go Aside out of the council, they, meaning the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves. And they said, what, what shall we do? Now, remember now, these people are very antagonistic. They are very much opposed to Jesus and to the apostles. And yet, here Peter and John, they're preaching. Thousands of people are responding. And lo and behold, there's a guy standing there irrefutable evidence that there's power in this name of Jesus because this man had been supernaturally healed, so they have a conundrum. They have a, they have a difficult task ahead of them. They say, what are we going to do? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. This is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and even we the educated, the elite, the aristocracy of Judea, we, the people who are in charge, goodness, we can't even deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us not repent of our sins and believe on Jesus, <laughs> but no, let us severely threaten them, okay? 
that from now on these people can speak no more in the, and no, to no man in this name, the name of Jesus. So they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, Ooh, watch this, moment of truth. <laughs> are they going to wilt or are they going to stand? Are they going to have a, I mean like a steel rod for a backbone? Are they going to stand? Yes, they are. Watch what they do. And they stood and they said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and the things that we have heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of the people, you see. The people were clearly on the side of the apostles and this new faith called, it will become called Christianity, but they glorified God for what they, for what had been done. For the man who was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. What an amazing uh, passage of Scripture. As I read this text with you today, and as I study it, and as I share this message to you, there is a basic premise that I really want you to grasp. And it goes something like this, because the apostles had been with Jesus. Now, not just for three and a half years in His presence and being discipled by Him, but also when you read passages like Acts 1.14, it says that they prayed continuously. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer. And then Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, as they went to the temple... At the three o'clock hour of sacrifice, they gathered together and they prayed. And so the key, really the, the magnificent aha moment that we have that unlocks the mystery of what is going on here is these men and these women had spent so much time in the presence of God in prayer and worship and knowing God that when it came time for them to be on public display, they shine brightly as the stars of heaven. Now, here's the thing. Not only can that happen to them, and it did, but this can happen to us, and it does. When we know God, spend time with God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, spend time in prayer and, and Bible study, and we are discipling people, and people are discipling us. When that spiritual moment of truth comes, and, and somebody puts you on the spot, and you're working, and they say, you know, you look kind of different. What, what's kind of, and this happened to one of our guys here in our church, and I don't want to call out any names, but he'll know who I'm talking about. But a guy at work for Apple looked at him and said, you are different. You must be a Christian. Where do you go to church? And he told him, and that guy came to church last week. And, and, and by the way, that happens a lot, and I praise God for that. But the reason that happens and the way that happens is we, we develop that relationship with the Lord. And as we develop that relationship with the Lord, when the moment comes for us to shine for the Lord, we do. So there are three things I want you to look at with me in this text. Verses 13 through 22. Number one, presence precedes power. Presence precedes power. And what I mean by that is they had spent so much time in the presence of God that when the time came for them to demonstrate spiritual power, well, they could because their spiritual tank was on F, right? 
It can be on E or empty or near empty. And some of you I'm talking to today, look at me for here just a moment in this, this graphic here. You got E for empty and you got F over here for full. And when our spiritual tanks are full, we're practicing the presence of God. We're spending time in prayer and in worship and our souls are being filled and we are encouraged and we're reading the Word of God and we're on full, then we are powerful. And we can do all things through Christ to what? Who strengthens us. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul said in Romans 15 13. So as we look at this text today, I want to show you something pretty interesting in verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. Can y'all put verse 13 back up there for just a moment in PowerPoint people? Thank you so much. In verse 13, it says, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, but I want to show you something here. And they perceived that they were agramatoi, is the Greek word. L listen to this again, agramatoi, grammar. Whenever you put the A, the alpha privative that precedes the word, it always negates what comes after it. For example, if you were an atheist today, then you would take theism, somebody that believes and trusts in God, and you put the alpha privative in front of it, that, that it negates, meaning you don't believe in God, right? Agnostic, gnosis is knowledge. If you're an agnostic, then you believe, no, a person cannot know God. And so they called them a bunch of uneducated, ah, grammatoi. They had no grammar. They had no rabbinic training. They had no letters. They didn't have a PhD in theology. Can, can, you, can you see that? I mean, look at these people, guys. We, the sophisticated elite, aren't we pretty amazing up here, Sanhedrin people? But who are these people? They don't even have a degree in theology. And they're, oh, my land. And they're up there trying to teach us the sophisticated elite aristocracy of Israel. And it gets worse than that. And they are, are you ready for this? Idiotoi. Idiotoi. They are untrained. Somebody help me with the English of that. They call them a bunch of idiots. That's literally where we get our English word, idiot, is the word there. We translate it untrained. So they are telling these apostles, not only are you unlettered, you do not have a PhD like we do, you're from Galilee, very pejorative, and you're, you're basically a bunch of idiots. You are not trained. How in the world could you be elevated to such a position and you're preaching and all these people are responding to you and you sense the, the envy and the jealousy and the hatred of the Sanhedrin? So how did they do it? What was the secret sauce to their persuasive speech? They had spent time in the presence of God. Listen, a person who spends much time in prayer and in the presence of God can do anything. They can be on display. They can shine brightly for God. They can do miraculous things as long as, like Peter and John, they pray and they stay in the presence of God. It's interesting to me in John 7, 15, this same group of people accused Jesus Christ of the very same thing. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters? He's never studied. 
Jesus, you don't have a degree in the rabbinical schools like we do. You're not a scribe. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a Sadducee. How do you do these things? And Jesus says, He does these things through the power of the Father. And you look at Jesus' life throughout the New Testament, and He spends time with the Father in prayer, and He is His… are you with me? His tank is always on full. And so He's enabled, He's energized to do the work of the Father. Well, these people followed the same pattern as Jesus. They stand boldly. They testify for the truth. And not just Peter and John, but there's a layman in the bunch. And it is this man who has been healed of his, of his lameness. He, he's 40-plus years of age. And he, he stands there in the midst of the prosecution and persecution. And what's so fascinating to me is what he did not do. He did not say, whoa, Peter and John, whoo, man, this is getting intense. You guys are in big, big trouble with the religious leaders here. Thank you for the new legs, but man, I'll, I'll check out. I'll, I'll see y'all later. He didn't do that. He was so appreciative of what God had done in his life, he was willing to stand with those who are being, being persecuted. Sometimes that is all God requires of you and me, and that is just to stand our ground. In the moment of truth, where we don't capitulate to the temptations of, oh, come on, man, we're on a business trip. Your wife will never find out about this. Who in the world? Everybody does this. Come on, join us. Go to this establishment. Do what we do. Nobody's going to know about this. But the thing is, when you're walking with God and you're spending time in prayer and you're studying the Word of God and you're worshiping with the people of God, you do not acquiesce. You do not capitulate. You do not give in to that. Why? Because you've got the power of God in you. God's in you. And you have the ability to overcome that temptation. Presence, though, always precedes that dynamistic power to do the right thing. You show me a Christian who never prays. Oxymoron, I know. He never reads his Bible, goes to church. <laughs> no, I really don't have time for that. Give money. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian, and, and they have no spiritual disciplines in their life. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's a matter of just when. <laughs> It's not if they're going to fall and to give in to the world and to act like the world. It's just a matter of time. But contrast that to somebody who is like Peter and John. I mean, man, they are established in the faith and they, are, they have been with Jesus and the love they have for Jesus far excels any temptation or allurement that this world had to offer. The longer you linger in the presence of God, the more power He lavishes upon your life to do the work of God. Can I say that again? Sure, Pastor, you, you want to say it again? Just go ahead and say it. That's what makes you feel good. Okay, thank you for talking back to me here. It says, the longer you linger in the presence of God, the more power He lavishes upon you to do the work of God. There's a lot more I want to say about that, but I've got to, I got to, I got to keep rolling here, keep going. Okay, number two. I'm just redacting as I go along, just trying to, if you want the whole manuscript, we'll give it to you. Just, just contact our office, and I've got all the, the data in there and the research. Every sermon I've ever preached, I always do a full five, six-page manuscript. It's like a little research paper that I do every Sunday, and it's the truth. It, if you want it, you can have it. 
If not, you can just keep listening. Okay, number two, presence prepares us for persecution. Now, this is verses 15 uh, through uh, 18. The presence of God in our life prepares us for these times when persecution arises. It really fascinates me that the Sanhedrin, the ones who are doing the persecution, it's fascinating what they did not do. Number one, they did not present a corpse of a body. If they could have only found the dead corpse of Jesus Christ, none of this would have been an issue for them. All they had to do was go and find his body and say, look, people, are you crazy? He's dead. He is dead. Here is his body. You recognize him as Jesus of Nazareth. He is dead. So therefore, go on back to fishing. Go on back to being the uneducated, idiotic uh, fisherman that you were. But you know why they could not present the lifeless, listless, dead corpse body of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Up from the grave, he arose. He arose from the grave. He was alive. He was alive then, He's alive now. And when you're in His presence, when you're in the presence of a resurrected King, He, he enables you to do amazing, miraculous things. And watch this, He enables you to stand. I mean, to stand when all of hell is against you. And, and by the way, in America, we, we don't get this. I know it. But there are some places in this, in this world, you name the name of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you your life. I'm telling you, in the 20th century, more Christians died for their faith than all the other 19th centuries combined. So how did they do it, Brother Danny? How would I do it? Things could change so quickly in our nation. We have no idea how quickly things could change. And all of our freedoms and the things that we so cherish could be removed from us, and we would become an extreme minority, people of faith, so let's say that happens. Could you stand? Could you stand or would you wilt? It's your moment of truth. What will you do? If you're practicing the presence of God and you are worshiping Him and you're reading your Bible and you're praying, and if your Bibles are confiscated and you no longer have a copy of the Word of God, then you hide it in your heart. I'm telling you, if that day comes, and it, it could come, I just hope that I'm, I've prepared you. I hope that you're ready, and I'm ready, and I would stand erect for my faith in the midst of incredible persecution. In verse 16, they knew this miracle had been performed. And the verb translated, uh, they cannot, you know, we, we, in, in verse 16 it says, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them as evident to all who are in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. it it's the Greek word dunamitha dynamite. They, they say this dynamite miracle has happened and we cannot. And so what, what fascinates me, number one, is the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, number one, they did not present the body of Jesus. If they could have, it would have negated everything because they were preaching a resurrected Messiah and they say, in the name of this resurrected Messiah, lame man, rise up and walk, and he did. But if there's no resurrected Messiah, there is no faith, there is no Christianity. We all need just to go back to doing what we were doing before we came here because it's all to no avail. But if he rose, if Jesus Christ really conquered the grave, 
that changes everything. And so they are like, they couldn't present the body. Number two, this is what they did not do. They did not say, guys, you know what? This is amazing. These people are telling the truth. Why don't we humble ourselves, take our letters, take our rabbinical training, and why don't we just lay it at the altar of Jesus? Why don't we become followers of Jesus? Well, no, they couldn't do that. I'm going to tell you why. The reason they could not do that, I think it's analogous to uh, biochemistry. So now you've really lost me, Brother Danny. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not following you whatsoever. To me, it's like a biochemist who looks at the irreducible complexity of a cell. You know, Darwin didn't have what we have. We have these microscopes that you can look at the detailed DNA, the RNA. You can look at that macromolecule and go, oh my word, look at that thing. It could not have evolved. It's absolutely impossible for it to have evolved. It, it, it's just there. It appeared. One-third of scientists today, they believe in intelligent design, but they will not dare say anything because they're going to lose their job. And so the Pharisees, they cannot admit truth just like many in academia and science academia today cannot admit truth because they would suffer the consequences from it, the ramifications from it. They will lose their reputation. They will lose their job. And if they're not tenured, ask Michael Behe. Michael Behe is a biochemist at Lehigh University. I was just listening to a podcast the other day, and he was giving me all this information. I read his book, Darwin's Black Box. I encourage you to read that book. It is absolutely fascinating. The irreducible complexity of a cell or a human eye. He said it absolutely impossible, mathematically impossible for that thing to have evolved over time. What is, what is one part of an eye good for? Are you with me? It has to come in whole. It has to appear whole. How did that happen? Almighty God created it. But if you admit that, then whoa, man. If you believe there's an intelligent designer out there, oh man, then you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose a lot. And I think the Pharisees are going, man, we could lose everything. So here, let's do this. Let's just prosecute it. Let's make fun of them. Let's accuse them of being anti-intellectual. I was witnessing to a guy on an airplane. I was flying to Tennessee, I think it was, and I sat next down to him. He started cursing. I was like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. And so, got into the flight and I said, hey, can you tell me about your spiritual life? Said, what? Spiritual life? He said, let me tell you something, sir. You do not want to go there with me. I said, okay. So, in my moment of truth, I just cowered down in my seat. And I took my Diet Coke, and I just kind of whimpered through the rest of the flight. Why are you laughing? I said, sir, let, let, me just, let me share this with you. And the Holy Spirit was with me. I said, so you're telling me you're an atheist. He said, no, I'm not arrogant enough to be an atheist, but I'm plenty smart enough to be an agnostic. I said, oh, really? Let's talk about that. So we did. We talked about the difference between atheism and agnosticism. We talked about the principle of faith and how, and I can't remember the whole conversation, but you know, come on, 30,000 feet up in the air flying on some steel? You've got lots of faith, brother. I got lots of faith to do that. And so we, we talked about that, and, and then he, he, I said something to the point. I shared the gospel with him, and he's like, okay, do, 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 do. I mean, he's really arrogant. He really doesn't talk to me, but let me ask you something. Where's he going to go? So talk to him. 
And then he says at the end, I said, well, I invite you to my church. Here's my business card. Here's my email. If I could ever do anything for you. He said, I'll tell you what, I will contact you if I have an epiphany. <laughs> then I just grabbed him by the neck and slammed him down on the face. And I said, dude, what is your problem? Just kidding. You know, when you're five foot six, you don't grab anybody by the neck. But anyhow, I, I just said, I tell you what, man, I'm going to be praying for you. But here's, here's the thing. I never would have gone there. Never would I have engaged this guy had not the presence of God been in my life. And the way God's presence was in my life was at salvation as a university student. I accepted Christ as my Savior, and then I began to walk with the Lord, and every day I'm reading His Word, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God, please help me stand strong for you. Help me give a verbal testimony for people that I meet. The presence of God in your life, oh friend, if it's there, you're going to have power, and you're also going to have the ability to withstand the onslaught of persecution. Verse 17, they, it just spirals downhill. They would rather silence and persecute than repent and believe. John 3:19 tells us why, because men love darkness more than light. And this is the condemnation of this world. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness. more than light, because our deeds are… It's not a cognitive, intellectual, theological issue. It's really not. It's a moral issue. Do I want to surrender my volition, my will to the will of an almighty, omnipotent God? Do I want to take the, the reins off of my life and the control panel of my life and hand it over to another and bow my knees and say, this is just private for she, sir, reporting to duty. Do I want to do that or do I want to call my own shots, sleep with whomever woman I want to sleep with, do anything and everything I want to do? Each time I go to that establishment, yes, I want to go to that establishment. I'll do everything I want to do. I'm not going to bow the knee to nobody. Bing, ding, 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 ding. That's the problem. It's not that you don't believe. It's not that you don't understand. It's that you believe what the devil has offered you is better than what Jesus offers you. You say, well, I'm highly offended by that. And it won't be the first time that I've offended somebody by that, but is it true? Is it true? I believe it's true. The apostles accused of the very things that contemporary Christianity conspicuously, notably omits. Chuck Lawless is a friend of mine. He said it like this, we stand faithfully for a message we keep to ourselves. And John MacArthur, you think I preach strong, you ought to listen to this guy, strong. Whew. Ironically, the early believers had to be commanded to be quiet, while many modern believers have to be commanded to speak. The difference is, you're practicing the presence of God, God is in your life. And you're so in love with Jesus Christ, and He's transformed you and your marriage and your family, and, and you don't even, you're like, no, I could never betray my, my wife or my children. No, I could never cheat or, or practice fraud. No, I could never do those things because I'm, it's not that me, it's Christ. He is my King. He has saved me. He has changed me. And I'm in His presence. And as I'm in His presence, I have power. I have the ability to withstand persecution. And the third thing, the final thing is, I have the ability to persuade others. 
presence provides persuasive power. F.F. Bruce, I love him, brilliant theologian, he said, Peter and John had never heard, probably, had never heard of Socrates, nor had they read Plato's Apology. But they gave the same answer that Socrates gave when he was offered his release on condition that he give up pursuit and discussion of truth and wisdom. Socrates said, I shall obey God rather than you. F.F. Bruce goes on to say, it is, of course, the kind of answer that any person of principle will give when offered freedom at the price of abandoning the path that conscience dictates. But what weighed most of all with the apostles was their personal commitment to the risen Lord to be His witnesses. Wow. Jesus said in Luke 12, 11, and 12, He said, and when they bring you, not if. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, Jesus would say, my disciples, when you come to the synagogues and you appear before the magistrates, listen, you don't get any magisterial or authoritative than the Sanhedrin. And when they bring you before them, watch this, don't, don't worry, come now. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you're even going to say, because the Holy Spirit will teach you. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that is precisely what we see happening here in this text. The Holy Spirit has an affinity with the believer who will spend time worshiping Jesus. He prepares our minds for times of dialogue and defense when we engage our hearts in prayer and praise. Let me, let me say that again. He prepares our minds for times of dialogue and defense when we engage our hearts in prayer and praise. Luke 21, 5, Jesus said, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. 1 John 1, he says, John is standing there with Peter. He would later on and write these words, the life was manifested, the life of Jesus was manifested. We saw Him. Look now. We saw Him, and we bear witness. And we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, Jesus Christ. Look, look, church. We saw Him with our eyes. We touched Him with our hands. John laid his, his head upon the breast of Jesus Christ. We, we were eyewitnesses to Him. We saw Him die, and then He arose. He appeared to us, and for 40 days He taught. And I'm telling you, we would rather die than stand before you today and say that all of this is a farce, all of this is a phony, all of this is something that we made up in our minds. No, no. they couldn't do that because they knew it to be the truth. You know, the Sanhedrin, for them to tell Peter and John, you can no longer speak in Jesus' name. That, that would be like them telling Jeremiah in 20 verse 9, don't talk about him anymore. Jeremiah said, let me tell you something. If I don't talk about God, then it will be like a fire that will consume my bones. It would be analogous to me to telling a jockey, 
I'm always fascinated by jockeys. Appreciate that, yeah. We, we see eye to eye. I probably could have been a jockey. And to ride that horse and to win that Kentucky Derby and to tell that jockey you can no longer talk about equestrian things. We don't permit you ever again to talk about a race. Dale Earnhardt Jr., let me tell you something. I know you've retired, but never again can you describe what it feels like to take a hairpin turn at, at 200 miles an hour. And, and, and by the way, while, while I'm talking, Tom Brady, never again can you talk about the New England Patriots, but, 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 but I work for the New England Patriots. I love the New England No, can't talk about them ever again. And by the way, that football thing you love so much, never again can you talk about football. LeBron James, let me tell you something, LeBron James, you can never tell us again the thrill of taking a basketball, and I only dream of that, amen, a thrill of taking a basketball and slamming it through the rim. You cannot ever say that again. Some, ooh, let me tell you, you were to tell me, hey, brother, Pastor Reverend Danny, you can never again talk about that sweet grandbaby Claire. Oh, let me tell you something, friend. That's how the apostles felt. You can no longer speak in his name. It would be like all those other illustrations and analogies. It is absolutely impossible they had to speak. How about you? No, no, really. How about you? Do you speak? the name of Jesus? Do you bear witness that you are a follower of Christ? Well, Brother Dan, don't go to meddling. I mean, we've endured you for 45 minutes now. Just go ahead and wrap this thing up. Please don't go to meddling. Don't go there because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I am not an extroverted person. I just, forget that. There's no such thing as a gift of evangelism. It's a misnomer because all of us are commanded to bear witness for Christ. I want to tell you why you don't. I've already made some of you mad. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. So let me just go ahead and finish it off. Here's why we don't. We're not in the presence of God. You show me a Christian who spends time in the Word and prays and occasionally fast and, man, they can't wait to get here at Great Hills Baptist Church or whatever church you attend and hear the, the Word of God being proclaimed and preached and then they're in discipleship and they're in small groups and, and they're just so in love with God. Let me tell you something, you can't shut them up. They will bear witness for Christ. But the opposite, unfortunately, the antithetical is absolutely equally true. You, if you spend very little time with the Lord, you hardly ever read your Bible, you're not discipling anybody, nobody's discipling you, 90 plus percent of us will never share our faith. And I think that's why. I said us, I, I shouldn't say that because I do. It's not perfect, but I do and I, and I want to, it's just like I can't help it. I, if you've been in the presence of Jesus, it's like I'm not, when I'm with my grandbaby and, I, and I'm just, I'm like a different person. I'm not kind of crazy. I've lost my mind. Goo, goo, ga, ga. I'm looking at her. You look at Pops. Look at Pops. Taking her picture. I'll go up to strangers and I'll say, hey, can I show you a picture of my grandbaby? They're like, sure, you know, go ahead. And I'm not, dude, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And I'm showing pictures of my grandbaby and they say, ooh, that's a pretty grandbaby. I say, I know it. I just love her so much. That's kind of the way it is with Jesus. I spend so much time with him, and I love him so much, and he saved me. He, Jason, let me tell you something. I was so fearful of going to hell. 
I had so much doubt and trepidation, and, and I just lived in this cocoon of fear, and Jesus Christ saved me, and, I, and now I'm going to heaven. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't help but testify. I can't help but preach the Bible. I can't help but go out there and tell people about the Lord. Why? Because of who God is and what He's done in my life. Well, I, Brother Danny, I'm with you, but I, you know, there are days I... I, I, I'm running late, and I really don't have time to, to pray. I'm, the mornings, you know, I get up play golf, and then I got to go fish, Brother Danny, and then I got to go play. I, I got to go shop, you know, with my wife, and, and wives, oh, I got to go shop, and I really don't have time. You know, I got the kids. Woo-hoo-hoo, the kids are crazy, you know. I got so much to do. And, man, I lay my head down in bed at night, and I'm just like, I just can't. I'm I just don't have time to spend time with the Lord, you know, in prayer and in Bible study. Then you don't share your faith. It's impossible. It's impossible. Oh, spend time with him. Be, be, be a moment of truth. Here it is, moment of truth. Spending time with Jesus. And somebody, I, I, I remember Thursday. I hope your meeting went so well. I was praying for you, MK, or your initials. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about it too much because the person you're witnessing to may be here today. That's really cool. And you were saying, and she sends me this note. She says, please pray for me at Thursday at lunch. I'm talking to my friend about Jesus. Just stop. Stop doing that. It's just messing me up as a pastor. I just get so excited. No, no, I'm just kidding. Please keep doing it. Keep doing it because I read that text and I go, Jesus, she's about to be on display and she's going to give a verbal testimony for you. And I'm just like, that's heaven to me. That is success. It's not how many people come here on a Sunday. It's not having almost a thousand people in VBS, which is absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. What, what is success to me is you knowing Christ and you walking with Him, you speak about Him, you live for Him. That, that is success. Let's, let's pray together. I want to pray for you and I want to thank you for being here today. I almost didn't preach the sermon. About 40 minutes ago, I almost changed the sermon. Because I don't know, I was thinking, well, maybe, it, maybe it's not the time to preach the sermon. But I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad God allowed me the freedom and the peace to share with you what God had so emblazoned upon my heart. And I hope you receive it today. If you're here today and you know the Lord is your Savior, then come on, help me now. Let's spend time with Him. Let's get into a discipleship group. Let's... Let's get here as often as we can. Let's be filled up that tank. You with me? E and F. Oh, by the way, let me ask you something. You, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. My head's bowed and my eyes are closed. If, if, if we were to put your gas gauge up on the screen today, would it be closer to an E or closer to an F? E is, man, fumes. Fumes. You're running, running on empty. I mean, you're running on empty. And, but you'd say F... No, it's F. Oh, I'm three-quarters full or I'm quarter empty. Well, I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I know. The more it leans toward F, the greater probability you're going to witness to somebody, you're going to stand strong in the face of sexual temptation, you are going to do the things of God the closer that needle is to F. So maybe the invitation today is for us, Great Hills Baptist Church, for the people of God that you call this church your home, and you call me your pastor. Well, maybe, maybe the message was for us today that we would all just say, God, help us get closer to Elf. God, help us get 
more in your presence and spend time with you and love you and share you with others. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, there's never been a moment where you really repented and surrendered your life to Jesus, well, absolutely we invite you to do that. Like I said earlier, we had many, many children. I, I was talking to a parent on Thursday night, and they said, Pastor, we're, we're guests. We, we don't attend your church, but our daughter was one of those who accepted Christ. And be honest with y'all, church, I didn't know what that person was about to say next. I was like, oh, are you upset? I mean, I, you know, and they were like, do you know what our daughter did? And I was like, I, I don't. They said, our daughter went to Sam's, started telling everybody. She was telling everyone, I got saved. I asked Jesus in my heart. And I was like, parents, what, what do you think about that? And they were like, we loved it. We loved it. Right, well, watch this. She accepted Christ, and you couldn't, you couldn't make her be quiet. Oh, I pray that for you. I'm praying right now. God, I pray. If those are within the sound of my voice listening to this sermon today, or maybe they're on Facebook Live, or maybe they're going to hear the podcast, or however they're going to get this sermon, God, I pray for them. I pray for the boldness of Peter and John and lame man. I pray that, God, we would so saturate our minds with the Word of God and with the people of God in prayer that, Lord, when our moment of truth, we step up to the plate. God, we wouldn't strike out. We would hit a home run. And the home run, church family, is being obedient. Just share the gospel. Leave the results to God. Be faithful in your hour of temptation. Lord, I'm praying for our invitation. I'm asking you, God, to do what only you can do. Save people, God. Change people. Encourage people. I'm going to say it again, church. Y'all might start hearing me say this almost every Sunday, and I'm still praying, by the way. I'm just talking. I'm, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you, Great Hills Baptist Church, may abound and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to have, in our, in our faith tradition, in this evangelical tradition, I know many traditions don't do it like this, and, but we have chosen to do it like this, is we have what we call a public altar invitation. Did I just go black out on you? So what we do is we invite people to come to faith in Christ. You can come pray at this altar. A pastor will take you by the hand. We'll have ladies up here. We'll have men up here. And we invite you to come. And yeah. It's your cue to come. All right, amen. <laughs> <laughs>